Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbot Loop, visit abbotloop.org. So today, my message is, Jesus changed everything. And at first glance, that's kind of like, huh, Jesus changed everything. But then I got in there, and it's like, whoa, Jesus was on a mission to turn the culture upside down. He was on a mission to completely dismantle the wrong beliefs, the wrong value systems, the wrong treatment of different individuals and people groups, to radically tear it apart and dismantle it. So changed is almost too small of a word for what Jesus came and did um, in, in the gospel. So I want to start... With that, but in honor of Mother, Mother's Day, I want us to talk about the most famous mother, the most famous mother of all. Not Mother Teresa. Come on, Jesus changed everything. We're in church. We're talking about Jesus's mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Come on, guys. Do you know those sayings? Um, either you heard from, from your moms or people that, that raised you or uh, things that you may have caught yourself saying, you know, to your kids, uh, you know, don't forget your coat, you know, don't make me tell you again. Does anyone here ever hear the one, I'll give you something to cry about? <sighs> what is up with that? You're already crying. And they say, I'll give you something to cry about? Like, as a kid, I would sit there perplexed trying to figure out this statement that made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so glad to know I wasn't alone, at least. Thank you so much for that. I feel, I feel community going on here. I feel family. It's awesome. So I wonder what uh, some of Mary's quotes might have been to Jesus. Yeah. You think she would have used the wait till your father gets home? Um, <laughs> I think she, it's possible that, that uh, she, she could have said to him, if all your friends walk on water, does that mean you're going to go and walk on water too? So that's just my, my own. Uh, sadly, there is really not enough recorded about the conversations between um, Mary and her son Jesus. But there is one in particular that's very significant, and it uh, really takes us where we're wanting to, to go with the rest of this message today. So if you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 2, and I'll just kind of be going through uh, verses 1 through 11. So there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to this wedding with his disciples. So this was fairly early in Jesus' ministry. It just kind of gathered the disciples. They're just getting to know each other. And when it says in verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, so at first glance, that could look like, I mean, it's not like she's sitting there going, oh, they have no wine. Hmm. Too bad, you know, because then why would Jesus' response have been so kind of adamant, like, what does, what does that have to do with me? You know, why is he resisting if she's just casually noticing, oh, 
oh, hmm, I guess I won't be having my second glass. You know, she wasn't casually noticing. <laughs> she wasn't casually. <laughs> she wasn't casually noticing that they had just run out of wine. She was momming him. Okay. So she was saying to Jesus, she wasn't mentioning around Jesus and he over, she was saying to Jesus, they have run out of wine. Okay, you all know there were looks, right? Okay, I mean, there's a lot can be said with a look and a tone of voice that has nothing to do with the words, right? Okay, so I can tell you're tracking with me on this one. So she says, they have run out of wine. And Jesus says to her, I think more woman as a term of affection. Um, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Then his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And she gave them a look, too. They got mommed right alongside Jesus is what happened. Okay. So she, mom got her way in this exchange because then Jesus turns to the servants. It doesn't say he went off and hung out with his friends for a while. It says Jesus turned to the servants and he said, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And when the master of the feast tasted of what was coming out of these jars, he was completely blown away. And he goes to the bridegroom and says, everybody else serves the best wine at the beginning and, and waits to, 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 wait, yeah. And, and then once they've drunk their fill towards the end, they gives, gives him the, the poor wine. And he's like, but you have saved the best for the end. So the, the, the master of this house is so impressed by what's happening here. So what we have is Jesus resisted, but his mother persisted. She knew her influence. She knew her role in his life, and he received her authority and role in his life. She instructed him in that place. She mommed him, but it's the same thing, right? Like, you know, and, and then those servants got mom too, so they were willing to receive her authority as well. I think she must have carried quite a bit of, uh, you know, stature and respect um, by this time. So the th- reason this is so important is this isn't just Jesus and Mary hanging out at the, the wedding and, oh, we made some wine and it was a little party trick. It says in verse 11, This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and the disciples believed in him. This was so significant. This was the beginning of his public ministry because he said, my time has not come. He already had the disciples, so he was already doing something, but they weren't totally on board. They were following, checking them out. They, you know, they weren't grafted in. This was at the beginning of the three years, not the end. And so he does this miracle through the influence of his mom. And the first glimpse of his glory is poured out through the influence of a woman. And his disciples believed in him. Okay? Huge, 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 huge. So now I'm going to start to talk about my message. Um... <laughs> So, 
Ah, I have some really funny stuff, but I'm not going to add it. I'm going to just jump right in to the context of the the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Pastor Mark is going to be teaching on that in his message, but there's no way I can go where I'm going in, in this area without giving a little bit of shape to it. So first we know, um, it says in the Bible, in Matthew, that Jesus, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, this is really important. Jesus regarded the laws of Moses and the prophets, but not the laws of man. Okay, so Jesus is saying this in the New Testament. So, the thing to understand is that between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years. They call, some people call them the silent years because there wasn't things written and, and whatnot. So, in the Old Testament, they lived under the Mosaic Law, the Levitical rules, 212 of them. So that's the Old Testament. When we say Old Testament, we're thinking of those rules and laws, okay? When, when we say Old Covenant, we're thinking of those rules and laws. So then we move into the New Covenant and the New Testament. 400 years have passed, and we now have Sadducees, and Pharisees. And they have added 400 more laws to the Mosaic law. So now we have 617 laws. And we no longer have the Mosaic law. We have the religion of Judaism made by man. I know that's been said, you know, throughout some of these messages and in the classes, but it's really important context for, for where we're going here. So, in 400 years, they created 400 more laws. 100 of those created laws by man were, were written specifically to disempower women. To take away their value, to take away their worth in the culture, to make them become possessions, to make them become the, the unseeables, the unseen. They couldn't be looked at. They couldn't be acknowledged. They couldn't be taught. That's what those almost 100 laws did between Malachi and Matthew. Okay? Tracking with me? All right. Awesome. You guys are awesome. They're so, like, awake and alert. It's, usually it's really hot to me out there, but you guys look really fresh and spring-like, so. Okay. So, by the time we get to Matthew, the women are among the most oppressed people group in first century Israel, okay? They were considered second-class citizens. They had virtually no rights, no respect, no voice. They were the property of men. They were allowed little or no formal education. If a family had young boys and girls, the boys could go to school while the girls stayed home with their mother. Jewish women were forbidden to speak to men in public and required to veil their faces whenever they left their homes. If a woman was caught unveiled in public, it was grounds for divorce. They kept house, took care of the children, and served at the will of their husbands. If a male guest came over to the house for dinner, the woman had to eat in another room. Now, I want to also say there is nothing wrong with keeping house and taking care of your children and your husband and creating a place of, of warmth and comfort and joy, male or female, in my opinion, okay? Just a, sorry, a little caveat there. All right, so 
Jewish women also could not vote and had no political influence whatsoever. A woman could not even be a witness in a court case. She couldn't testify to anything. Women were relegated to the outer court of the synagogue and most often were not even allowed to read the scriptures. The one first century rabbi named Eleazar said, rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her lasciviousness, which is sexual immorality. What? He would, just unbelievable. But these comments depicted the religious community's attitude towards women at the time that Jesus enters the scene. This is what he walks into. Well, do you think he noticed a problem? Okay. He does notice a problem. It's a huge problem. And he can't not notice the problem because his mom, uh, Mary, was impregnated with him by the power of God and had to deal with a certain amount of ridicule and public questioning and, and shame. And it, it, was, it wasn't based on anything true. She knew what, she, you know, what had happened and she walked in that truth, but she still had to live that out in her community. And Jesus got to see that. And Jesus was a result of whatever disparaged her character in her community's eyes. So he then would also experience some of the impact of maybe people might have believed he was illegitimate or born from fornication or things like that. We don't believe that, but those could have been influences in the culture. Jesus couldn't ignore the issue of women. When he entered the scene, he couldn't ignore the issue of women because he had watched his own mother navigate the types of oppression and not being able to be seen and not being able to talk, not being able to read and know the word of God, the mother of God. So I submit to you that everything Jesus did in his interactions with women was intentional. So we have the story of the woman at the well. How many of you guys are not familiar with that story? The, good, the, the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well and asks for a drink of water. Okay, good. So if you want to turn into your Bibles, it's in the book of John, chapter 4. And um, so we know Jesus is tired and thirsty. He sits at this well. His disciples run off to get some food. The... Uh, woman comes, the Samaritan woman comes to scoop water from the well, and he says, give me a drink. And she basically is like, how can you, a Jew, ask me for a drink when I'm a Samaritan woman? She knows exactly how she's viewed in this culture, which, golly, Jewish women had it pretty bad. Samaritan women had it even worse. I mean, they were less than the stuff that gets stuck in your shoe. That the type of racism and prejudice towards Samaritans was horrible. And then she was a woman, which was worse than worse than worse. So she was dirty. She was unclean. She was, I mean, in their minds, they were immoral just for existing. I mean, so this was, why would you want water from a Samaritan woman? 
fair enough. He's a, he's a rabbi, for goodness sake. So I'm talking really fast because I don't want to get my message done. Um, and she was probably a little bit sarcastic because she knew that Jews don't really talk to Samaritans, but yet he wants water. And he answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So again, Jesus is offering a woman, a Samaritan woman, the worst of the worst, living water. Men don't talk to women. Women are possessions. They're not taught. They're not valued. They're not celebrated. Their heads are covered, and they're definitely not spiritual, and he's offering her living water. Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Later on, he says to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And she says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus answers her, I who speak to you am he. So he just revealed himself personally as the Messiah to a woman, a Samaritan woman. And it's the first time in recorded history that he does so. Did I say that right? I can't sometimes tell what the mumbling is because you're on my deaf side. So if you're correcting me or something. So, for first time it's recorded in history that he declares who he is, and it's to a Samaritan woman. To a Samaritan woman that doesn't know him, that doesn't have a biblical background. I mean, there's like no reason that he would do this, except that he's trying to go counterculture and flip everything upside down and demonstrate that women are valuable and worthwhile and have something. And so what does this woman do? About this time, the disciples come back they're like, what is going on here? Jesus is talking to a woman. They're kind of not even saying it to him. I'm lit to themselves. And she takes off. She's like, boo, 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 I got to go. She heads back to her town. And the, the Bible says she goes to her city and said to the men, okay, the Samaritan woman says to the men, come and see this man. Could he be the Christ? Could he be the Christ? The Samaritan woman was compelled compelled to go against everything that culture said and go to the men and testify, this could be the Christ. She's been married five times. She's now living with a boyfriend. Uh, the religious world would not even allow her to step foot in the synagogue, but she just became the first evangelist in history. And Jesus empowered her to do that. He gave her what she needed to influence, which really is what I th empowerment is for me in, in this context. He gave her just what she needed to go and influence her community, and she did. She did. It's amazing. So she wouldn't even qualify as an elder in anyone's church. 
But she just turned the Samaritan city upside down. Many in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. That's in verse 39. I want you to hear something that makes this whole series really significant. There are many, many places in the world and in our country and even in our state where women are not allowed to teach this story that I just spoke to you about. Because of misunderstanding of the scripture and the context of things said and the whole 400 years and a whole bunch of stuff Mark Drake's going to talk about next week. If anyone should be able to teach the story of the first evangelist, the first person that Jesus reveals himself to, the first woman that goes out and turns a city upside down, it should be another woman. And yet, that's been limited. That's what we're going after, guys. Okay, all right, catching up, catching up. Okay, Mary and Martha, one of my favorite stories. I always love this story. I don't want to butcher this story because I know a lot of people like to use it for different things, lots of women's retreats, women's conferences, and women's meetings, and women's luncheons, and women's Bible studies. And... We don't know very many women personally named Martha anymore, although God bless you if you're named Martha in this room. I love the name Martha. And um, so this story is used to illustrate that we should focus on relationship with Jesus and not the busyness of doing things. And that is true. There is absolutely, you know, although I thought, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Okay. So, I mean, stuff does still need to get done. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So... (laughs) So, okay, it says in in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 41, now what happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her. So is he saying to Martha, Martha, I don't value hard work. I value laziness. Mary has chosen the good part. She has chosen to do nothing. I value that. Is this what Jesus is saying to Martha? No. That's not what he's saying to Martha. And yeah, there's, still, there's room for that other interpretation of, you know, we should focus on relationship and not, you know, doing. But also, there's this other little nugget in this passage. When I was a little girl, stood out to me. And I really wasn't so focused on Martha. I was like, what was Mary doing? What was she doing at his feet? You know, and the different translations lay that out a little bit differently, but he was teaching. He was speaking, and she was listening to every word. She was learning. It's like spiritual things, probably. So is it possible that Jesus was saying, Martha, I didn't come here for you to serve me a meal. I didn't come here for you to serve me. I came here to serve you. And Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken from her. And it's available for you too. 
And if anyone has a problem with the idea that Jesus serves, Luke twenty two twenty seven, for which is greater, the one who reclines at the table, and this is Jesus speaking, or the one who serves? And he answers it back. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? He says, the one that's greater is the one that reclines at the table. And then he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. And I don't think he was talking about clearing the dishes, although he may have cleared some dishes. He had a great mom. So, so I'm just skipping through a couple of these stories because there are so many stories where Jesus is interacting with women and completely goes counterculture, completely breaks the rules, does illegal things. He breaks laws in his interactions with women. And everything I've already shared with you, he was breaking the law. So I'm going to do one, one last uh, woman example and then go into my closing. That's not a, a hint for the worship team to come up, though. Okay. They've got a clock back there. I've never preached with a clock in the back. So sometimes I'm like, is that how long I've been going or how much longer I have to go? <sighs> it's bad news, people. <laughs> okay, so now we're in Luke, chapter 7, 36 through 50, but I'm not going to read all that, don't worry. Um, and it's one of the Pharisees has invited Jesus to dinner. Okay, now the Pharisees and Jesus really weren't getting along. There, we don't find a whole lot of references where they were, you know, fist bumping, high-fiving, all right? But maybe this guy's wanting to make a connection. Maybe he's wanting to check him out. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's, but he's invited Jesus to come. And as far as I can tell through the stories, did, there weren't many places Jesus went alone unless it was by himself. Like, like... He always kind of had an entourage of people. There was always people around him. So this Pharisee probably didn't have a one-on-one -on -one dinner with Jesus. There was probably other people in the room, okay? The disciples, perhaps, maybe some other followers, maybe some other religious types of people. So the Pharisees invited probably the most famous man or infamous man in the community to come to his house and have dinner. Jesus has said yes. He showed up. He made sure the house was clean. He made sure he's to get the good food, made sure to tell the kids, you will not dress like that when Jesus gets here. You know, he is like, this is going to go awesome. This night is going to go awesome, okay? And it's not going to be normal. We're going to, we want this to go well. So he gets everything in order. And he says, uh, then one of, the, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, this word sinner in this passage specifically is really referencing sexual immorality, i.e. a prostitute, okay? This woman who was a prostitute in the city, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil comes into the house uninvited because, remember, it's the Pharisee's house. He's not inviting any women into his home, and he can't acknowledge them or talk to them or look at them. And it wasn't like you can't look at a woman with adultery. It was you can't look at them. You can't see them. 
You can't see them. These were the laws the Pharisees had to follow. And so here she, her, she comes into the house. She doesn't sit quietly and observe. No, no. She comes in with a big jar of alabaster oil and begins. Stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself in his own little head. Man, if he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is that's touching him. He's singing this to himself. But we all know what our faces say when we're thinking inside our heads, right? So, so he says, she's a sinner. And Jesus answered. There had been no questions said, but Jesus answered because he's Jesus, right? He knows everything, man. Don't try to hide stuff from Jesus. It will find you out. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So teacher, say it, says Simon. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500, the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which of them will love me more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? So do you catch that? He can't see this woman. He can't see this woman. He can't acknowledge that he sees this woman. And yet Jesus, in your face, do you see this woman. I'm here to turn the culture upside down. I am here to make a difference. I will not let these women be ignored, devalued, diminished any longer. I know what I'm doing up ahead, and I'm going to need them. Whew. So, so, uh, so he says, you see this woman. I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, which was the culture to do. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing me. Not stopped to cease to kissing my feet, sorry. <laughs> but still, that's a lot of kissing. Since I came in, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? So again, we have another amazing encounter between Jesus and a woman that what? Portrays his nature, displays his power, displays that he's the Christ through an exchange with a woman. You'll find this all through the Gospels. Every time Jesus is encountering a woman, another level of revelation, another level of display of his power, his wonder, his nature is released into this community. Okay. This is so awesome. All right. Okay, I can do this. So what was Jesus going after? We see in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 26. 
And this verse has been mentioned a couple of times in this series. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, the image of God. There's a lot going on here in this word, the image of God. It isn't just about whether God has a female part of him or a male part of him. Though that's, you know, male and female, he made them. In the image of God, he made them. It's all there. But this word image is also bringing forward in the character, in the nature, in the identity, in the essence of everything that I am. Let's make them like that. Male and female, he made them. That's pretty cool, I think. So, this looks like Jesus is looking for equality then, right? Male and female, made in God's image. Uh, I think he does. He wants us to value and respect one another the same way that he values and respects us. So, but is it possible he's going after something more? I mean, gender equality, slavery, oppression, genocide, racism, these all exist over 2,000 years ago, and we are really still dealing with it now. Yeah? It is just heartbreaking. So equality is a big deal, but what Jesus was really going after has even more impact on these global issues. And we find that by looking at that verse in Galatians again. When he says, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And then we have in John chapter 17... One of my favorite passages is where Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. Then he goes on to pray for the rest of us. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, their testimony of who I am, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one and made perfect in one, 
and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He wanted us to be one. He wanted us to know our identity. Our identity. We, lots of times these series will talk about amazing women and amazing men. You've got your Mother Teresa. You've got your Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Amelia Earhart. And we say these wonderful attributions of these people to prove the value of a woman. To prove the value of a man. Jesus would have none of that. He says your value is right here. That you are one in Christ Jesus. Your value is right here. Your identity is right here. You're qualified by this thing alone. That you are in me and I am in you. And we are in him. And he is in us. And that qualifies us. Because he had a big picture in mind. It wasn't just about coming and messing up some preacher's rules. It wasn't just about coming and helping 12 guys learn how to preach and share the word. It wasn't, I don't want to say it like that. The cross was part of a whole. The the cross got us to the next step where the empowerment and fullness, where the curse was broken and we were freed from all the limitations. Women could be seen, men could be seen. We could be valuable. We could be worthwhile no matter what we do. Your husband can love hospitality and mine sewed my wedding veil. He also knows how to skin a bear. I like that about him. And likewise, he doesn't limit me that the only things that I can be good in are gender specific. And I am good in some gender specific things and I'm kind of good in some other stuff. And I don't think of it as gender. I think of it as stuff I like and stuff I'm good at. And I, I don't qualify things that way. And God doesn't want us to qualify things that way. He wants us to celebrate one another. Good grief. Mariah, oh my gosh. When I heard her preach, four years ago, I would have been devastated because I was still immature in my own sense of worth. If, if she can preach like that, who needs me? And that there is certain logic to that. You know, I mean, it's hard to argue. She has such a special gift that I had never seen before. And as I sat in both services, and my heart just wanted to explode with love and thrill and honor and like, Do I get to be a part of where she's going, of what God's going to do with her? And I put aside the fact, I'm not competing with her. We're arm in arm. We're arm in arm. And men, you need to be arm in arm too. And you need to be arm in arm with women. We got to have each other's backs or we're not going to be able to do this great mission. There's this song. Oh, hi, Joel. There's this song that, uh, he's, he's got my back. He's already up here, man. Way to go. So uh, th- he's going to play a song for you guys. Um, we sing it at the end, and it talks about the fullness of God. And it talks about that we would be his witnesses. And the we. How do we 
bring the image and nature of God if we're split off because women are relegated over there and men are relegated over there or because women are mad at men for the times they've been relegated so we're just going to passively aggressively elbow you out even though we probably would have more fun if you were here let's admit it I you know I think they're fun most of the time they're messy but really funny and fun to be around and they can do the heavy lifting We got so much time to celebrate each other, to love each other. When we do this, we change the world. But we can't. I'm telling you, this is why we're still, it's like, it's like a rut in the road. Like I said, we've been dealing with these issues, oppression and slavery. We've been dealing with these issues forever. They, they look different. They sound different. They sound worse. There are more places, different places, but it's the same issue and we're in a rut because the church can't come together and represent the fullness of God. The fullness of God as in his male and female children, women and men, the fullness of his nature, the fullness of his character, the fullness of his wonder, the fullness of his love that is released when male and female come together on the earth to change the culture, to turn it upside down, just like Jason did in the book of Acts. Oh, these are those that are turning the world upside down. I don't want to be a world changer. I want to be a change the world upside down changer. I want to turn it upside down. I want to flip it over. One last thing. If those sound like words, you've heard this before. If only it could be true. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open. I pray that the Spirit of God will give you a revelation because those are not just words. They're why we're here. They're why he came. They're why he did what he did. They're what all of this is about so that none would perish and that he would get what he paid for on that cross. And that is a body fully alive, wholehearted, desperately in love with him and actually kind of in love with each other. Jesus valued kisses, right? Like she kissed me. He's saying, I, I like passion. I like emotion. I like love. He wants us to love each other. She did not stop kissing my feet. Now, we could figure out a culturally appropriate thing like that, but this is what he's going after. This is how we move forward. This is our moment. This is the time. So listen to this song that my wonderful friend Joel is going to sing for you. And just ask yourself as you stand, um, is there a way I've, disqualified myself, Lord? Is there a way I've unqualified myself? Is there a way I've hidden or allowed myself to be unseen or not worthy? And allow him to release into your spirit the truth of your identity and who you are. Allow him to touch you and to give you a revelation of who we are together. The we that's mentioned in this song attention to it. It's the we that gets this done. Bless you. Fullness of eternal promise Stirring in your sons and daughters 
earth revealing heaven's wonders. Spirit come, Spirit come. What you spoke is now unfolding. And all your children shall behold it. Dreams awaken in this moment. Spirit come, Spirit come. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Here and now, let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over. your presence and this power is within us we will rise to be your witness spirit come spirit come so pour it out let your love run over now let your glory fill this house pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house amen thank you jesus come on what a good word huh So good. I just want you to think about this. I'm going to set up our message for next week. Jesus, Jesus changed everything. Holy Spirit, Women's Liberation Day. Ooh. Whoa. You almost fell over here in the front. It must be an anointing. He's <laughs> just my kid. He moves around a lot. He'll be okay. Holy Spirit's moving. Where are we going? There's a trajectory that Jesus started something. She did such an amazing job preaching this message. So good. And he started something. It was changing. He's moving us somewhere. Think about he, the, the first, first miracle he does is water into wine. And he says, I saved the best for last. Was the curse good? No. So men dominating over women, bad. This is a curse. Not so good. And we go to the law. And from the law, we move to the fulfillment, which is Christ. Come on, we're moving somewhere. He saved the best for last. The law's not the best. The curse is not the best. He said, I need a new wineskin. I'm pouring in new wine to a new wineskin. What? Yeah, so he changed everything. And the whole covenant gets flipped. It's all new. Now it's by his works, not ours. And he pours in. And now, next week, we're going to learn. We're going to see how he pours out. His spirit on all flesh, men and women alike. That's all, y'all. That's all, y'all. Say it's me. All right. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, in Jesus' name, let your favor pour out on every person in this room. Bring us into equality, one, 
as Gretchen's preaching, we're one, made one in you. Will you do it by your spirit? I pray that every woman in this church would be set free. We break off the bondage that has been placed on them. We just pray you just break off the shackles, the reins, you would let them loose. And Lord, in perfect equality and in submission to one another out of reverence for you, Christ, that we would see the through unity, Father God your glory pour out in and through all of us in this city this state transformed by your presence god bless your people in jesus name amen amen thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this message please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on facebook services in anchorage alaska are at 9 a.m and 11 a.m we hope to see you soon